Here we go. Revelation 19. We're going to read from verse 11 all the way to verse, let's just look up to verse 4 of chapter 20, okay? All right. Revelation 19, verse 11. Bible says, and, I, and this is going to all happen. This isn't like, oh, this is really cool entertainment. This is truth. This is true prophecy for the future. And I saw heaven open, John says, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should, rule, he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Verse 17. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God, that ye may eat the flesh of kings, and the flesh of captains, and the flesh of mighty men, and the flesh of horses, and the flesh of them that sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great." And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. Verse 20, And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before them, miracles before him, which, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that he must be loosed a little season. And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them. And judgment was given unto them, and I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark, Upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. So when I was younger, some of you might remember the, uh, how many of you have been to Pete's Fish and Chips? Raise your hand. All right. So when I was a kid, uh, it's still over there. The one Pete's that we went to is at Mesa Drive in Maine. When I was a, in that area, when I was a kid, it was right on that corner, right on the immediate corner. And later on, it kind of they moved a little bit back, just, just a little bit south of the corner. But when I was a kid, mom and dad would take us there sometimes, and it was a different building and everything. You pretty much eat outside just like you do now. And, um, you know, <laughs> so the one thing I always remember, it was good food, but I just remember the birds, you know. 
We'd go to Pete's Fish and Chips. We'd go there like on a Friday night or something. It was always like at a night, you know, a Friday night or a Thursday night or something. And we'd go there and, and you know, you'd get your fish and your uh, fries and or maybe some shrimp and, and the, or a monster burger. I think they got it, call it a monster burger. And, and uh, they say, no ketchup. We don't have ketchup. You know, they only have Pete's sauce, which I think includes ketchup in it. But it's like El Pato sauce and ketchup mixed together or something. But they say, we don't have ketchup. But it was good. I, I still like going there when I can. And I don't think my doctor likes me going there. But, uh, but I remember, that's one thing I remember is the birds. You don't, I don't think you see as many now. But I remember sitting down, and we'd be waiting. And like, look at all these birds come around. And they, I'm like, why are all these birds? And I realized, oh, people are dropping their fries, you know. And they come swooping in and eating their fries. I'm like, oh, this is cool. I'm going to go, you know, throw my, throw my fries out there for the birds to eat. And they'd track them. And, and then, you know, that, that could cause a problem if you, cause, you know, have too many birds coming along. But um, how, it's like a bird buffet. They thought, well, we got a little buffet here. This, in this passage here is a gigantic bird buffet. You say, wait, Pastor, this is about Armageddon. It's about the, it is, but, but look at how much space is taken up talking about this bird, these things with the birds. I'm going to tell you a reason why in a little bit. But it's about a big old buffet. For these birds. This passage that we just read, so we just read part of the vision John saw of <laughs> the real Savior of the world coming back, because the world up to this point in, in the Bible, which is going to be in the future, the world's going to get mesmerized with a false Savior, a false Christ, and they're going to follow Him, and there's going to be a, His uh, right-hand man's going to do miracles before Him. Everybody's going to follow him, and they're going to worship him. They're going to receive the mark of the beast and all this stuff, and they're going to damn themselves in doing that. But the real one's coming. And John says, I saw him, heaven's open. He's true. He's righteous. In righteousness, he doth judge and make war. And his eyes, you know, are like a flame of fire, and nothing escapes his sight. His name's called the Word of God. He has on his veteran, on, on his thigh, a name written. King of all the kings, Lord of lords. And he comes back and he steps on earth. And there's more passages. Now listen, there's more passages that give us another angle of what really happens on this day. But let's look at this last battle. It's not the very, very, very last battle ever on earth because there's another one at the end of the millennium. But this last battle in this, in this coming age that's going to come up, and how it takes place. Look at how it's described. Look at how this battle is described when Jesus comes back, his feet step on earth. We're going to look at how it's described. Okay, again, he's going to come back, before he comes back to his feet on earth, the scripture teaches that he's going to receive us in the air first, the believers. We'll be up there in heaven with him, and then we're going to come back with him when he steps down on earth. He's on the white horse, we're on white horses, and we're reigning with him. But when he first comes back, let's look at and take some observations here. Let's walk through this. The first big observation here is we see that there's a speech to the birds. Now, look, I'm not, I'm not where I'm studying my Bible and I'm getting bored and I want to come up with some witty little thing. This is right here in your Bible. There's a speech from an angel to all the birds in the world. So I guess it must mean something. Let's look at this speech to the birds. Jesus is coming back and we're talking to birds? What's going on here? Oh, there's something to this. Look what it says, verse 17. I saw an angel stand in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of 
kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of them that sit on them, the flesh of all men, both free and bond and small and great, in case there's a better taste to one of those, you know. He's saying, look, here's the menu. Birds, you're going to eat all these different types of men. And we're reading that like, okay, this is weird. What's this about? These are two lengthy verses describing a menu for scavenger birds. A menu for them. The angel, one of God's height, one of God's servants, is ministering spirits, calling out, come on over, birds. All of you, come on over here. We got a big old buffet for you. How many of you like to go to buffets? You know? How many of you ever, how many of you, okay, how many of you go to a buffet and when you're done, you're like, man, I might be going to buffet again. And it's not because it wasn't good. It's because it's not good for you, right? You know, I, I keep holding on to this coupon, this one Chinese food buffet that sometimes we like to go to. It's been a long time. I might take my boys. It's like 10 or 15% off. I hold on to it. Uh, should I use this? You know, I'll feel, I'll go, Mick. All right, I don't like buffets anymore. You know, after I'm full, like you want to start a diet after you're full, right? I'm going to start a diet. <laughs> you know. But here's a big old buffet, and God invites, it's okay. God says, okay, y'all, come to this. Come to this, supper. Two lengthy verses describing this thing, attractive menu. What in the, what is this telling us? We read this, pastor's making it sound funny. In some ways it is. But in all seriousness, what is God telling us as he gives this speech to the birds. What is this telling us? It's telling us three things. and This is just under this first point. It tells us, now think about this. This is the truth. God is about to fight the most powerful enemies. The Lord Jesus Christ is about to fight the most powerful enemies the world can ever and will have ever produced. And what is it likened to? It's likened to him just making them into bird food. That's what it's likened to. It almost seems like this is kind of silly. Well, that's about how silly it is for somebody to fight against God. So, it tells us that the most powerful enemies of Christ are viewed merely as bird food before the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, pause on that thought, and I want you to consider some Bible verses from some of the prophets that say some things of what it's like to try to stand before Him when He comes. Who can stand before him? Look in Joel 2. I know it might be harder to find Joel. If, if you're in King's Kids class, you would memorize the book Minor Prophets better than I did probably and uh, where they're at in the Bible and have the little song. But here's Joel. Joel the prophet. He talks a lot about the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord was kind of was twofold. To the Jew, there was a day of the Lord where he came to judge their nation. And then there was a greater day of the Lord that's to come when Jesus judges the world. And so one, sometimes one is the shadow of the other, the first being the shadow of the second. Joel 2, I want you to consider Joel 2, verse 10 and 11. It's speaking about this context of this day we're preaching about. Joel 2, verse 10 and 11, The earth shall quake before them, the heavens shall tremble, the sun and the moon shall be dark, and the stars shall withdraw their shining. We read about that in Revelation, didn't we? Chapter 2, verse 11 also says, The Lord shall utter His voice before His army. For he that is strong executeth His word. 
For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible, and who can abide it? Who can stand up in that day when Jesus comes back and steps on the earth and has the showdown with the enemies? Who's going to be able to stand up to that? Go over to the right, the last book in the Old Testament, look in Malachi. Malachi 3, verse 2. Malachi 3, verse 2. But who may abide in the day of His coming? And who shall stand when He appeareth? For He is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. Verse 3, shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and He shall purify the sons of Levi. And purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering of righteousness. Look at Malachi 4, verse 1. For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all, that, and all the proud, yea, all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, it shall leave neither root nor branch. Let's go into the book of... Uh, Matthew, pardon me, no, the book of, just go back to the book of Revelation. Go to Revelation 6. Revelation 6. Revelation 6 is talking about some of the earth responding at this day and time. Verse 17, for great is the day of his wrath, for, for the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? Who shall be able to stand? So here we, we're back at Revelation 19, okay? God calls out to the birds as Jesus is coming back, as Jesus is back. He calls out to the birds, to the angels, come on, gather over here. You're going to have a big old feast of all the dead bodies. What's that telling us? It's telling us that nothing, that, that they're just, it, he's not even thinking about the battle so much. He's thinking about the cleanup. It's telling us another thing. That and we're going to, I'm going to go re revisit that lost statement I just said, but it tells us also, watch this, that the battle will be so heavy with ca casualties, okay? The battle will be so heavy with casualties that God, who, who uses means that He had already installed in nature, because He could do whatever He wanted, God calls for the means that He already installed in nature to just gather every last one of these scavenger birds, most likely other birds who might not be considered scavenger birds, and to clean up the mess. It is so heavy. You know, sometimes they, I think in some of our world war, um, in some of our wars, it's like we get ready for battle and they get all the, you get all the medics and you get stretchers and you get, we're getting, you know, coffins. Like, all right, we're going to go ahead and get ready to bury. Nobody's dead yet, but we're going to get ready. That's what's happening here. God's saying, all right, the battle hasn't started. Call the birds in. It's going to be so heavy, I'm going to need you all to clean this up. So when Jesus comes back, the, the whole rest of the world, except Israel and some believers, small group, are going to go against them. It also tells us, as we look at this speech to the birds, and follow me on this, this is important. It tells us, well, well, it tells us this, that we need to keep victory, ultimate victory, in the forefront of our mind. And here's what I mean. Well, please watch this. Jesus comes back. The Bible tells us he comes back, King of kings, Lord of lords. And then, all right, the battle of Armageddon is going to start. 
And it calls the birds, what? What are you calling the birds in? He's already thinking of the post-battle. He's already thinking of cleanup. It doesn't like, oh, and, and, and here it goes. The angel says, all right, all you church people on white horses, line up right here. And uh, you Old Testament saints that are in on this thing, line up right here. And Jesus is going to be right here. We don't even hear that stuff. They're already thinking of the end of it. I'm telling you, this is the emphasis of the text. Here, all right, the battle. You're already talking about the cleanup of the battle. You haven't talked about the battle yet. Before the Lord begins the war, he's already making preparation for his cleanup. He hasn't started yet. He's calling his cleanup crew from mid-heaven to come on deck and stage themselves for a, to mop up the mess. What is God showing us? He's already thinking of the victory. The Bible tells us that who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believed that Jesus is the Christ. We overcome the world because this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. My faith, because I have faith in Jesus Christ, I'm going to overcome death, but I'm also going to overcome every bad thing that ever is going to happen in this world with Jesus. Now, in my little life, it's the same thing, too. What's overcome the world now? My faith. God's already thinking of the victory before we even get, you know, sometimes you're like, oh, yeah, I heard about the battle of Armageddon. You kind of want to like, oh, it's going to be cool stuff, man. What's he going to do? What? It's pretty plain. Yeah. So that's the birds there. Look at the number two, the slaying of the enemy. The slaying of the enemy. So, I'm sorry, the staging. That, i got to put my glasses on here. The staging of the enemy, all right? Look at, that's in verse 19. All right, so what happens here? So the birds are invited to supper. There's no battle yet, but they're getting ready. And it says, John says, I saw the beast. That's Antichrist the best that the world could ever produce. But he's actually the worst. He's the best and he's the worst. And the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against who? Him that sat on the horse and against his army. Here we see the enemy is staging itself. The enemy is going to stage, the world is going to stage itself against Jesus Christ as he comes back. He's just going to be on a white horse. Again, a white person who rides a white horse is one who's saying, I already won. And we're going to be on them too. What do you see here? We see I, the worst of mankind. It's kind of like, here's the best mankind can produce, but they're actually the worst. But mankind is trying to produce. Here they are. They have, here's, the, here's, our, here's the best men we can have go against Jesus. Here's the best minds. Here's the best... Um, Here's the best strength in my, here's the best miracles because there's going to be a false prophet. Who can work miracles by the power of Satan? They have all this satanically energized enemy of uh, here with the beast and every, perhaps all the best military warfare up to that point. I mean, there's some pretty cool military weaponry right now, right? That would be, oh man, some of us would want to know about that stuff, don't we? There's some cool stuff out there. Imagine what it would be like in 30, if Jesus comes back and say in 50 years. And on top of that, the Antichrist, what kind of stuff he's going to conjure up. They're going to have their, go ahead, bring your best stuff. Line it all up. They're all staged. It says they gather together. They're all staged against Jesus. And look how Jesus is described. Look how he's described. This is, look what, they're, they're making war against him that sat on the horse. And his armies. 
Now, some of us, I love that. I love that. You know why? Because it tells me how valuable Jesus is. He's all the weaponry we need. Just sitting on the horse. He's all the artillery. He's all the intelligence. He's all the strategy. The one sitting on the horse. It doesn't say, oh, and he, he, brought, he brought some cool stuff from heaven, the, some really cool nukes. No, just him on the horse. And the armies, we're on horses too. And they're all staged against him on the horse. They're staging themselves against the man, the best man, the really the true best of man, the God-man. Jesus' value is of himself. It's not just like the things he gives. He himself is value to us. Now, by the way, that's kind of the theme in John's writing. When he writes the book of John, it's like the person of Jesus. And not just his works, but the very value of the person. The Bible says of Jesus, Jesus Christ says in John 16, 33, These things have I spoken unto you that ye might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world, he says. He didn't say, my stuff, my cool weapons, me. I have overcome the world, and we have him. And the whole world's going to line up against the, the precious Savior of ours. There's their staging. Staging of the enemy. Now let's look at the next thing in the next verse. We see the seizing. This is Jesus doing it. Seizing of enemy leaders. Verse 20. Again, I'm like, if you were looking for some drama, it's, there's, you don't see it. The beast was taken, it says. And the false prophet. And with him, the false prophet that did all the miracles before him. And they were cast in the lake of fire. You're like, all right, cool. There he is. There's all the Antichrist. They're pew, pew. the beast, the false prophet, the kings. And they're like, all right. And that by all it says, all right, who's going to make the first move? You know, you know kind of like in these war movies, they, these old war movies, these, these, these guys line up right against each other. You go, what are you guys doing? You know, and they shoot at each other. And it's some kind of lineup here. And what does it say? Maybe Jesus just says, take them. I don't know. But the Bible said in Joel that his word is powerful. Strong is his word. Take him. And that's all it took. And the beast is taken. And the false prophet is taken. And they're cast alive into the lake of fire. The seizing of the enemies. Here's a thought, by the way, before we go to the next thing. A couple thoughts. Here, here you go. God's taken... All right, so, you know, you go to West Point or some of these military schools in Annapolis and you can learn military strategy and, and good, you know, um, how to, you know, go about warfare the best way. And one of, the, one of the points of wisdom is take out leaders. Take out leaders of different levels. And then the subordinates kind of, it gets a little... You know, it, it disturbs the subordinates, and then you can go after them because they're disturbed. What's God doing? He's taking out leaders. Take him. Take him. 
although the beast and the false prophet are powerful, it's a reminder, I think John's showing us that although the beast and the false prophet are powerful, they will be overpowered. So let me pause a second. Think of the most powerful person that you can think of, maybe in money and in mind and in all kinds of things. Now think of that probably times 10 with the whole world behind him. That's like, that's the Antichrist. And he's going to have a lot of power, but he's going to be overpowered. He's going to captivate a lot of people, but Jesus is going to take him captive. They're going to work miracles, but the Lord of all miracles is going to overcome them. That's what's going to happen. They're taken. These men who will take people are going to be taken themselves. And they're taken to a lake of fire. The seizing of the enemy leaders leads them to a lake of fire. Again, the end of the verse 20. These both were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. Well, pastor, that's, man, that's sad. They must have just, they probably just burned up and they kind of were annihilated and went out of existence, right? Nope. Look in chapter 20, 1,000 years later, it tells us what's happening there. Chapter 20, 1,000 years later in verse um, 10. Between those verse of chapter, between chapter 20, 19, verse 21, and chapter 20, verse 20, was a thousand-year reign of Christ. And the Bible says that the devil was cast, that deceived them, verse 10 of chapter 20, was cast into the lake of fire, burning with fire and brimstone. Now, we'll notice how the lake of fire is described. It is where the beast and the false prophet are. They're still there. and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. They weren't annihilated, and the implication is those that went there weren't either. They're still there after a thousand years. A continuous lake of fire with continuous existence. Look at verse 14 and 15. Death and hell, this is at the end of, this is after the judgment, great white throne judgment. Death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Verse 15, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is a real place. It's an aspect of hell. It's like what we'd think hell is. Hell's cast there, apparently. But it's all hot. Either one of those things. But that's where the enemy leaders go. Now, let's move back to our text here. What else is happening? Verse 21. The next thing we see, we saw the speech to the birds and the staging of the enemy and the seizing of the enemy leaders. Now it's number four, the slaying of the followers of of that enemy. The slaying of the enemy's followers. Look at this, verse 21. The remnant were taken, pardon me, and the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth. So again, the picture is Jesus comes back. They all assemble against them. He takes the two leaders. They're in the lake of fire. The remnant, those that are left, that's what we're looking at right now, were taken, with the, were slain with the sword of him. What is the sword of Jesus? It's not a forged piece of steel that he had to go get into mine out of the earth. It's of himself. Again, Jesus of himself has the weaponry. Jesus of himself has our healing, has our help, has our grace. He slayed them with the sword. Not that he bought it a cool 
sword shop in the mall or had to get a gun at a really cool gun shop or one in the black market somewhere. Nope, he has it of him. We have to obtain weaponry, don't we? To gain advantage and to gain more advantage. He, it's of himself. And he just says the word and they're done. Isn't that amazing? Again, Jesus' word, his word is the power of death and life. We want to accept his word so we take and know life. If you accept the word of Jesus Christ and his gospel, that as he came here, he died for your sins, he was buried and he rose from the dead. If you believe that, you believe that word of his, you're saved. And that word of his becomes life to you. If you reject that word of the gospel and say, I don't believe you, Jesus, or I'm not accepting you, then his word will be your means of death, too. You will be, uh, the Bible talks about us being judged by his word. So, Jesus, out of his mouth, his weapon is of himself. And then here are a couple of the things here. Number five, the supper. Finally, the supper for the birds. All right. Look how it ends, verse 21. It says the, uh, the remnant were slain with the sword of him, slain with the sword of him that uh, sat upon the horse, which sword proceedeth out of his mouth. Finally, the birds get their meal. They're waiting and drooling for that buffet to get going. Verse 21, the fowls were filled, all the fowls were filled with their flesh. All the fowls, all the birds. Finally, it's almost like, see birds, I told you. I told you to come over here and look at, there you go, all you can eat, right there. All the fowls were filled with their flesh. Now I'm going to do these next two points, I'll make them brief and summarize them because we're going to deal with them more on another Sunday. Two more points, we see number six, the snatching up of Satan. That's chapter 20, verse 1 to 3. Satan is snatched up. Verse 20, or chapter 20, verse 1. I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled, and after that he must be loosed in little season. Isn't that amazing? Satan, that's our, that's our enemy. He's called the dragon. He's called the serpent. He's called the devil. He's called the adversary. An angel of God give, is given authority to lay hold on him and bind him. And there's another compartment, a bottomless pit. I mean, he's got his own little solitary confinement, all right? For a thousand years. Put him in there. We'll talk about that, that whole reasoning of a thousand years and then coming back out. But he's put in there. He's let out later on. But he's like, we're going we're gonna to stop him while this next thing happens. That's the last point. Number seven, we see Jesus now setting up his kingdom. Put away the enemy. Put away the sin. Put away the enemies of God. Now we can set up his kingdom. Look at the next few. Really, it's verses four to, or pardon me. Yeah, really, it's verses four to six, really. Verse 4 describes people who are martyrs during the tribulation time. Look at the end of the verse. They lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Verse 5 says, The rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. 
Verse 6, blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection, and such the second death hath no power. That's you if you're saved. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Now, again, this whole scenario is describing Jesus coming back with, oh, others on white horses. That's us. It's the church. That's most likely some Old Testament saints also coming back. We're with them. The world assembles against Jesus. Jesus cleans them up. The birds, the, Jesus just says the word, puts the, the leaders in, in uh, lake of fire. The remnant were slain. The birds clean up the mess. The devil's grabbed, put into a bottomless pit, can't get out. Now he can set up his kingdom, and we're with him. And there's a special honor for those that were martyrs at that time. That's, I mean, this is going to happen. But I just want to wrap it up on this thought that maybe can make it kind of a personal thought as we go tonight. Um, really a couple of thoughts. You know, remember what Jesus said. He, we talked about the disciples' prayer, or the, uh, the, the Lord's prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. It's good to pray that, thy kingdom come. Like the real one. It's a spiritual kingdom right now. God, thy kingdom come. Because I think God wants us to have that mentality of seeking his kingdom and, and his righteousness and hoping for that. You know why? He wants us to pray thy kingdom come and seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these other things will be. You know why he wants us to keep thinking of that and praying that? So we don't get too focused on this stuff right here. And two, in knots about our, our, the kingdoms that we get frustrated with, the one that we're living in. Like, oh, yeah, it's just a temporary kingdom, you know. We're just trading out leaders every four to eight years. And, we, and I know we have earthly responsibilities there, but thy kingdom come. And here's, we got a little sample of it. We're going to hope to look into it more. It's one of these, two of these Sunday nights. Thy kingdom come. And then the last, another thought just to go home with. Again, it's important to pray that and to think that helps us through this current time. But the second thing is, just, just recognize this thought that before Jesus, um, before Jesus really does anything else significant, he moves the enemies out of the way. Okay, let me put it to you this way. Enemies in this day must be put away before he does anything else. So Jesus comes back to earth. And there's all these enemies, and they've had their chance, they've heard the gospel, etc., etc., on the earth. And he's not going to tolerate them. He's not going to adapt them into this kingdom. He's going to put, they're done, put them all away, clear the plate, get rid of every last enemy. And then, now, he's going to do his will, his plan, his kingdom. The personal thought is, you know, that's really like it is in my life. There's really not much more the Lord wants to do until he clears out the enemies that you've been playing around with. Your flesh, the world, the devil. Christians can give place to the devil. You've got to clear that out if you want Jesus to do something in your life. You know, the, the besetting sin that you willingly hang on to. He wants to clear that out if we want to see him develop something in my life. My flesh, living after my flesh, I need to die to my flesh, yield to the Spirit. If I want to see Him develop and do something in my life, what, what, 
the, what you see in a greater s- picture of him, what he does in his kingdom in that smaller way he wants to do in our life, you know. That's how, remember when Joshua went into the land? It's a picture of this thing. Joshua brought the children of Israel into the land. Before they really could do anything, they had to get rid of that enemy, get rid of that enemy, get rid of that enemy. Don't tolerate any of them. And when they did tolerate pockets of them, it came back to bite them. And that's how, so like, think about what's the thing your flesh battles with? What's the thing that you're a, a sin or something that you're allowing the devil in your life? Like, repent of that. Confess that. Put away those things. And say, Lord, I want you to have way, your way with me by the power of your Holy Spirit to, have, uh, to, to grow my life and to develop the fruit of the Spirit in my life. I don't want to tolerate. I know that by this little example, you're not really going to do much until you get the enemies out of the way. But some of us, if you're not even saved, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, um, you are already in the enemy's hand. That is, he wants to keep you from putting your faith not in a cross, not in a symbol here, but in the person who was here. There's a devil wants to whisper in our ear, oh, that preacher's a hypocrite, doesn't know what he's talking about. Oh, Jesus is just like all the other prophets. He wants to whisper those lies in your ear. But what you really need is put that away and see the scripture for itself and see this one who loves you and like no other, who lived and died like no other, and was buried and rose from the dead for your, for your soul, for your forgiveness of sins, and trust Him. That we see here, back to this text, is a glimpse of His coming kingdom.